This is CliffCentral.com. So increasingly, humanity finds itself drowning in information. We are choking in a deluge of data. We are increasingly suffering from bandwidth anxiety between our Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds. Most people talk about the fact that now we live in the attention economy. Attention is the new limited resource. Attention is the new oil. If you don't have ADD today, you're not paying attention. This is the question on everybody's minds. How do we curate what we pay attention to? How do we push aside the noise and focus on what's important? Stuart Brand used to say, science is the only news. The rest is the same he says and she says that you see in the media. And so, If I were to be talking to entrepreneurs, if I was talking to heads of companies, I would tell them, pay attention to exponentials. Pay attention to disruptive technologies. Pay attention to the progress in artificial intelligence, biotechnology, nanotechnology, right? The big three, GNR, genetics, nanotechnology, and robotics. These are the forces that are upending the world. These are the new trillion dollar industries that are going to emerge out of no place. Think exponentially, pay attention to disruptive technology. Welcome back everybody. We're at the Singularity University Summit and we're incredibly excited. Um, I must admit, I missed out most of yesterday, so I'm really amped to be back. Yeah. And most importantly, I've got my two favorite Bretts with me. Hey. Hey, Brett. Hey, Brett. So the first Brett is Brett Lindsay. The second Brett is Brett Lopesha. Brett Lopesha, how the hell have you found the show, pal? It's, uh, it's been great. You know, the Singularity University is something I've wanted to go to for a couple of years now. But I think it takes quite a, a serious amount of resources to get to the U.S. Uh, and you're version talking of moolahs, right? Yeah, it's big money. It's big money. So right. I'm very, very happy that they've actually started uh, bringing out chapters into other countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second I found out that they had one coming to SA, I was on, on the list. Uh, and it's been great. It's been really, really uh, spectacular. I yeah. mean, every time I see Shane Mann, I'm giving him a hug. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I love you, but I love you. This is yeah. the best thing ever. And we're going to be talking to him as our last guest. Oh, just so to wrap that up. Big schlup, yeah, I have. No, that's good. So, <laughs> thanks, Shane. But yeah, he's going to come through. But honestly, uh, Mr. Lobsher, mm. where what have you thought of Singularity Summit? I mean, now that we're here and we're seeing all these great people talking about amazing stuff. Mm. What are your thoughts? Look, I mean, as you guys may uh, recall, I'm a little obsessed over these things, um, so I wasn't sure if I was going to find too much new information, um, and I. Honestly, there has been some overlap, but for the most part, the speakers have been fabulous. Um, mm. I was blown away by the AI and machine learning talk yesterday morning. Um, what were those, a, some of the highlights of that? Because I wasn't here, right? I'm, know, I'm totally jealous right To now. me, the thing that stood out most of all, which I find to be possibly the most important highlight, is how much we don't know what we don't know. Because the the outputs that they are getting from the data that they are mining is astonishing. The the one story yeah. that stood out to me most of all is just by listening in to conversations happening between students in a particular class, they're able to tell within one day which ones will fail and which ones will uh, will pass the course that they're doing. Oh, Matthew Sinclair, you're in trouble, pal. Within a week, <laughs> within a week, they can pinpoint which questions they will fail at in the tests wow. three years. In OMG, class. I needed that when I was Inc- at school. Incredible. I, I, I wouldn't Absolutely have had to do school. Well, I, that, <laughs> well, that, that begs the question, what's the point of school? Well, this is the right. question yeah. she actually asked. Yeah. This is uh, Dr. Vivian 
uh, Ming. Uh, Vivian Ming. Yeah. She was actually yeah. on the show earlier, yeah, right? We interviewed her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fabulous. I mean, I, I thought she was absolutely wonderful. And um, th- this was the point she was making, is are exams even necessary anymore? If we have the tools to do this, where we can tell um, in a short amount of time how uh, productive you can be, how well you will be doing at a particular job, then what's the point of doing all of this uh, studying? Especially as the information load increases and our jobs are changing more dynamically as we go forward, it just makes sense to move to a world like that. I guess it's all about cr- uh, critical thinking. Cor- Corin Wallstra mm. also spoke a lot about that on a previous series no, about the sure. future of education. And it is... You know, rethink how we do education and yeah. let's focus on the critical thinking and solve, uh, problem solving side of things. No, exactly. I and mean, we had, uh, Caesar in Kasana? In Kasana? Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, Caesar in Kasana? Oh, about ex, education. Ex, ex, ex banking mm. and mm. moved into education and not only talking about access to information, but talking about how the types of things that children need to be learning today mm. Is what they need in order to empower them for the future. And we're not doing that because we're still stuck in this foundational, this fundamental way of teaching. And something's going to change. And it's great because these discussions start saying, well, what is that way of teaching? Yeah. And this is the first insight I've actually seen into that, which has given me hope for that. I mean, I've got, uh, I have many children. I've got five kids and trying to figure out how <laughs> to actually, about that. Yeah. Okay. Most people laugh kids, and right? point when I commiserate. Sorry, sorry, am I doing it again? You love <laughs> you love all of them equally. I do, of course. Yes, they're they're amazing. Yeah. They are amazing. But I don't really know what to do about their long term education. Mm. It's a yeah. it's a big concern, right? And, Just, and yesterday I got a, a, a bit of insight that gave me hope. What is the age gap between your oldest and youngest? The, my eldest is, is 15, yeah. and the youngest is the two-year-old twins. So, sure. wow. So in that decade gap, right? they're going to have different education between them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the one thing, I mean, we've brought it up on the show before, is education is a great thing and AI and all these things that are happening, but what does the future look like for our children? How do we, as parents, raise our children for a future that we are uncertain of? It's, it, it, this is the real challenge. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, because, you know, everybody has this idea where they say, you know, we're learning how to do jobs that won't exist um, by the time we're ready for the workforce. This becomes a bigger and bigger problem the further forward we go into the future yeah. because of the fundamental themes of this conference, which is exponential change across the board. All fields of technology, anything that becomes an information-driven or information-led technology um, is going to be prone to this. So finding ways to figure out what your your child is going to actually excel at and love doing without having to go through that pain, mind-blowing. Absolutely yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah. So I must admit what uh, Singularity University done a really great job here about is um, actually giving us the tools to go and play with, right? So we're hearing about these tools, and then there's all these kind of, I want to call them PlayStations mm. everywhere. Have you tried any of them out, like the uh, controlling robotic uh, spiders with your mind, that kind of stuff? Did you give any of them a go? I haven't any done, views on that? <clears throat> I haven't done that, but yeah. um, I've played a lot with the VR stuff. Mm. Um, I know it's had a little bit of a bumpy start from mm. a consumer perspective, but I absolutely believe that's the future. And then uh, the stuff I enjoyed playing with upstairs in the little um, showcase area is um, these basically entertainment-based robots at the moment. And I think that is going to be a hugely explosive So tell us a bit about those. 
Um, so there's this one little um, character, which is actually a desktop robot, uh, robot called yeah. Anki, yeah. and um, it's um, one of the uh, the creators at Pixar was actually involved in the development of this of this robot. Um, so it's um, it's pretty spectacular how much personality they've managed to build into it, and you can play games against it. It picks up little cubes, it runs around on the desk, it makes cute noises, it pulls little funny faces at you, and then you can play sort of memory games with it and so on. Oh, very cool. Mind blowing. And very, uh, very cool. Two hundred and fifty three hundred. Why so I really hope you bought some for your two twins, right? Don't get them here. I have to get them online. Ah, I yeah. see. Yeah. Luckily for you, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I have to admit, uh, Diva Chanda mm. had some interesting views um, around how you control devices and how you're able to control these robotic uniforms using your mind. Mm. I think it's a pretty interesting field that's just popped up quite recently you know um, the the thing that comes to mind is the new uh, the, the new company that Elon Musk has, has founded yeah, yeah. Neuralink um, and this is all about uh, brain machine interface so I think the long term view for that company is to be able to provide uh, some kind of interface between our brains and machines and the, the value proposition or the way that it's been positioned by Elon Musk is to say that we are way outclassed from a bandwidth perspective um, when it comes to our interface uh, with machines because currently our interface is kind of our fingers. Yes. It's sort of Very moving, analog, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And moving to our voices, but it needs to get better, otherwise we won't be able to keep up. So I think the first stages of this, pretty exciting and interesting. Yeah. Um, probably mostly focused on uh, fixing uh, brain kinds of diseases mm. and, and problems I- at the outset, uh, but then later moving into very, very interesting consumer spaces, I think, uh, controlling drones with our minds and such. Excellent. I mean, it gets quite difficult for Singularity University to, to kind of keep up with this kind of content and keep guys like you entertained, right, and at the forefront of your own industry. I mean, do, do you see them... Like, What needs to be done next, I guess? I think it's difficult when you are speaking to a wide audience um, because if if there's a base of knowledge, then you can actually start getting uh, into these subjects with a little more depth. Um, But this is a problem that will accelerate, right? Um, I think uh, going forward... The rate of change accelerates, um, yeah. so it's going to become exponential growth. Exactly, yeah. it's going to become and harder the and harder theme to keep of, this. Of the show, right? Yeah. Exactly, exponentialism—that's my word. Exponentialism. I don't know if it's real. Yeah, <laughs> you can own the, it. The price, the price competitiveness of exponential costs dropping, and yes. things don't need to get better in order to get exponential growth. Yeah, they mm. just need to get cheaper. Exactly, and that's wild. Mm. But singularity, you—it's wonderful to see you here, Mr. Brett Lotion, mm, attending, attending uh, Thank the you. summit. Thanks for joining us today on the show. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show as well. You're not uh, too far away like some of the other speakers that are here, which is mm. great to have access to minds like you. Cool. Thanks um, for your time. Thanks to you guys. So we're still at the Singularity U Summit in Johannesburg, and we're having a fantastic time speaking to all of the speakers that are on the main stage. It's been fabulous, right? It is. I'm really enjoying it. I'm like a kid in a candy store listening to all of the great minds just giving us this amazing information. And uh, we have one of the guest speakers here today, uh, Mr. Carlo van der Veer. Did I say that right? That's very close. Thank you. Okay. From from the Singularity University in Netherlands. Yes, actually, yes. Yeah, I, I'm also linked to the Singularity University uh, executive programs in uh, Silicon Valley. But yep. uh, yeah, w- within Singularity, I'm responsible for everything that happens in mobility. And mobility is, t- is a typical industry that's being disrupted because digitization is happening there all the way at the moment. Excellent. So when you talk mobility, just to make it clear for our audiences, you are talking about access or is it mobility as in getting around? 
It's actually it's uh, it's, it's mobility as in getting around. Actually, yeah. as actually the the biological urge mm. of people to uh, yeah, really change their location, mm. which is something that actually happened already for tens of thousands of years mm. with a remarkable constant. We always have been moving ourselves around for a little mm. bit more than one hour per day. That's when we're most happy. So that's something that's a oh. biology that's that happens somewhere in evolution. It's not going to change. So literally, the physical moving around keeps it's part of our yeah. genealogy, yeah. right? Exactly, and it's also independent on on the on the the, the, the richness of a country. So even mm. poor countries do, do do an hour, and rich countries do an hour. The rich countries move a little bit further with that, and that's the only actually actually the only thing that changed in the last thousands of years is the is the range that we have. So it it it, it used to be one kilometer or two kilometers that we did in this one. Uh, uh, in this one hour, and nowadays it's almost 100 kilometers, and that's also exponentially changing at this moment. Kilometers in Western Europe, uh, the average is 100 kilometers, 50 of which is flying. It's not that we yeah. fly 50 kilometers every day, but you just have one intercontinental flight mm-hmm. per year, and you already have 50 per day. But uh, apart from that, it's 50 kilometers more or less what people, in average, uh, commute or leisure, etc. Do you have a sense on how many kilometers you're doing? I bet you must travel I, quite a I'm bit. A, I'm a little bit uh, topping that, yeah. So I'm not living <laughs> to my, as it's called. The Marchetti's constant. It's my <laughs> yeah. evolutionary drive. I'm a little bit over that, yeah. But, uh, okay. And what are, you, what are you seeing the impacts of, of this one hour of mobility in a person's life? What are the impacts on the person and society? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question because, because um, if you see this, the, the fact that this range has, has increased is good for the economy and for, because you can meet more people, you mm-hmm. can choose more jobs. So it's, if, if I had to choose my job within one kilometer, I'd, I'll be a farmer, which would not be an economical, sensible <laughs> thing because I, I don't think I'm good at farming. And the, well, you probably don't have to these days, right? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, it. it's, it's automated. Yeah, that's, that's true. So you have to, to travel a little bit further mm-hmm. in order to get your job. That's economical, uh, but sensible. But, but above 100 kilometers is not really sensible. So we yeah. should come to use all this technology not so much to go even further and further, but, but try to improve the mobility because at this moment mobility is not a sustainable system. Uh, there's 1.2 million people dying because of accidents related to mobility. Oh, wow. We have the pollution thing. We have, we have, of course, the global warming, although that's not a problem anymore since we have a new president in the United States, apparently. <laughs> But, but apparently disappeared. But, but, but coal, still, right? we, we have we have we have all these 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 factors, and actually, like also congestion is of course, uh, and, and the use of public space, time waste. And, and if you make that financially, it costs an economy like South African economy about five percent. Wow. So the economy of five in, in South Africa, if, would, if there would be no accidents, uh, no congestion, no negative effects of mobility, the economy would run five percent better. That's billions. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, we, yeah. we, we saw it with our blackouts. We had blackouts about four five years. Ago. Load shedding, yeah. yes. Load shedding, yeah. they called it. It was full-on blackouts for half a day or a day or even some, sometimes a couple of days. Mm. The impact on traffic, on getting to work, and, and, and people stuck in, in jams for yeah. three, four, five hours. So I totally it's, understand. It's costly, but the, the most costly is accidents, actually. Youngsters that yeah. die in a car, in a car accident, that's, that's the lost human potential. A, the lost yeah. human potential, apart from, of course, the, the, the societal uh, damage that you do there and, and the emotional damage. But it's also a financial. So it pays off in order to invest in that. And if you mm-hmm. see what technology at this moment can do, and especially the, ex- mm-hmm. the exponential technology that is entering in the, uh, in the mobility world at this moment, it's really cutting down on these costs. Do you look at the difference between uh, commercial mobility as well as the sort of holiday travel that's a yeah. view and the productivity behind both? 
And I'm going to another question. But yo, do you look at both of those? Yes, exactly. Because this this, this one hour than an average show mobile, it's is distributed among commuting and commercial mm. traveling, and the other end leisure. There's a shift towards leisure. Yes. You see also in a lot of con- countries where the the, the 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 peaks were during the working days. You see this shifting to the weekends even. Mm. In the Netherlands, we have more traffic jams on the Saturday than on a Friday. Wow. So that's 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 something that you also see. So this hour is not going to change, but we really can do more sensible stuff with this hour. That's fantastic. And we're in a connected world. Is is there a, a need to, to be as mobile as we have been? I know you mentioned this, that hour of travel is good, but we're connected. We can work from home. We can work from anywhere. Yeah, actually, this is, this is actually one of the reasons that this hour is not going to change, but we use it for different stuff. We can mm. do much more sensible thing within this hour. Yes. And on the other hand, the vehicles get better cheaper, safer. They do parts of the travel uh, autonomous, which is a comfort thing yeah. because it takes the nasty bits out of driving. So driving even gets better. Uh, all the system, the services like what you see for Uber and all mm. these, these kind of services, they really provide a better service than it ever been before. So it's improving, it's getting cheaper, it's getting better, it's getting more fun. So I guess um, uh, we're going to throw it forward just slightly. Um, you talk about the exponential technologies in the mobility space. Can you give our audience a sense of that? Are we talking purely autonomous cars or are we talking Hyperloop? Where, where, where are those kind of technology points? I think Hyperloop um, is not going to happen. Sorry for these guys, but oh, really? especially these students that work on that, they're, mm. they're going to find out some, in, some interesting stuff, but we are not waiting for point-to-point transport. This is typically making transport faster with no real societal or, or economical benefits behind That's it. True, so, sorry to say that, yeah. apart from it being very, very extremely dangerous system, just yeah. if you look on YouTube, Hyperloop busted, you're, you're cured for that. But on the other hand... <laughs> but when, a, when a vacuum <laughs> stops working, it really mm. does make That's a big when they, thing. Or when there's a Messy. small hole in yeah. this tube, you, mm. get, you get a pressure bumper that kills everyone inside. So, so it's, it's something, it's, it's a very, very challenging solution looking for a problem, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Autonomous driving is coming, especially for comfort reasons that every now and then it will take over. Also, when you are about to make a crash, car can take over in this, mm. this rare moment, so it, it makes cars inherently safe. It doesn't mean that the driver is going to disappear, because that's that's an extra step with a lot of problems with that, and also not what people are waiting for. But the car is going to take over in a lot of times, and it makes it better and safer. There's a lot of talk around leapfrogging technologies, especially in Africa, and uh, things like infrastructure not being available for things like maybe autonomous cars or connected things, but the world full of drones taking people around? Yeah, the, the, the lack of roads is an advantage if you want to peak in drones. Mm-hmm. This is a leapfrog thing, but there are many other leapfrog things. Like uh, we in, in the West, there's a lot invested in making clever uh, roads with all kinds of signs and, and dynamic route information panels, etc. Smart cars don't need that. Mm. A smart a car is going to be inherently safe, independent from what infrastructure it drives upon. It doesn't need a real clever infrastructure. That's a good thing. Mm. So smart mobility is smart cars on stupid infrastructure. So these flat roads, as you see them here, actually, with not a lot of technology around it, that's the ideal roads for future technology. This is a huge leapfrog. And it's just one of many, many examples where I think that Africa can leapfrog on the future of mobility. You're going to pass us. Excellent. So I'm incredibly excited to be living in Africa at the moment as we do get that opportunity to leapfrog. So I'd like to thank Carlo van der Weyer. Is that right? Thank you. That's very right. <laughs> awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on our thank show. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you very much. Enjoy the Singularity U Summit. I am doing that. Excellent. Thank you. Cheers.
again, my mind has been blown. It's been put back together. I thought you were joking when you were saying that, Brett. I mean, that's <laughs> true story, isn't it? It didn't feel like it could break more times if I tried. No, and I had to full defrag over the ni- overnight from day one. And now we're back <laughs> into day two, and uh, we have one of our guests from day one. An absolute superstar, right? A local South African who's yes. going to take us to Mars, hopefully not just go by yourself. Locally out of this world, guest. Out of this world. Adriana, how are you doing? Thanks, Brett and Brett, for having me, having me here today. I'm doing well, yes. Uh, I won't elaborate more on the defragmentation and putting back together of the brain. Um, yeah, it's been an amazing experience to be here, I think. And as a researcher, I've tried to keep abreast of the possibilities. But I think what I've been most impressed with here is people doing these possibilities, people yeah. implementing these dreams, and also the unity of purpose that somehow has, uh, has been highlighted here, I think, from all corners of the world, different research approaches different startup uh, areas of activity and this unity you know that we see emerging from from all of the different speakers and the different topics discussed so now tell me why on earth would you want to go to mars why on earth would you not want to go to Mars? <laughs> so the way I see it, I mean, life has been evolving on planet Earth for around 4 billion years, according to the fossils that we've extracted and examined. And it's only right now, at this precise moment, um, in the last sort of few decades, that we've uh, developed the capability. Of course, we've always dreamed of traveling to other worlds, but recently the technolo- technology is uh, almost there in terms of being able to to get to planet Mars, our ne- next-door neighbor planet, and the one that makes most sense to, to explore it's, first. It's close, hey? Yeah, just uh, next door, so 200 million kilometers or so. 200 million kilometers. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I saw in your presentation, it didn't look maybe longer than a ruler. So my presentation yesterday was 10 <laughs> minutes, which strangely enough is the time it takes light to travel between the two planets. No ways. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I forgot to mention that, given that I only had 10 minutes. Kaboom. Do it. That would have been a great, a great mic drop. <laughs> excellent. I mean, the... I've never interviewed or, or met someone that is possibly going to be leaving the planet voluntarily. Um, and it, it does break my brain in a very different way. I Besides mean, wanting Mike to. To my, my Mike. Yeah, Mike Cowan. <laughs> if you, if you want to tag along, then if you've got space in your hand, luggage, you'll send our co-host with you as well. Yes. He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> he's not, so we just take advantage. <laughs> <laughs> but how does one go about becoming a Mars One candidate? Mm. And when you get there, what will you do? So I heard about the Mars One project in early 2013. So it's been almost five years of being involved in the project. And we've had uh, several rounds of um, eliminations, let's say, from the 200,000 who applied initially. And we're now sitting at 100 of us in the semi-final round because we'll still have another selection or, or two selection processes that take us down to the 24. Wow. That will then be offered full-time jobs with the Mars One project to train for around a decade. It's pitched at a decade because this was kind of um, uh, the scale in which the moon mission was planned. So envisaged and implemented kind of eight, eight years or so later. So that would take, that's the time required for the tech. But importantly is, of course, the training of the crew. Yeah. But perhaps the most important would be the cohesion that you, you would hope to have emerging from these teams yeah. that train together for these many years. Because you can't because, just go home. Yes, yeah, so, and we've heard it from Dr. Dan Barry that uh, the, the trust that's required between the team members is probably the most crucial part of, of achieving the success of a space exploration mission. Excellent. And then you're a part of a team. What what are you going to be doing on, on Mars? 
So I think what what unifies us 100, if I could uh, narrow it down, is first of all our perseverance of having stuck with the project, yeah. Yeah. in spite of the stuff you'll read online, yeah. calling it a hoax, a scam, a joke, etc. Um, really? And uh, no. while, while many people are excited by it, of course you have yeah. to then explain to your your boss or your family that you volunteered for this trip. <laughs> so it takes a certain amount of perseverance. I'd say that's that's the first uh, um, clause that you would need to uh, meet. But uh, secondly, I think it's the the skills that we have and the vision that we have for our professional careers. So largely amongst the 100, although it was not a requirement by Mars One, are professionals in data science, software engineers, uh, all sorts of engineers, um, mechanical, electronical, aero, etc. Research scientists from geology to quantum physics in my case, people who see a continuation of their professional activities on Mars. So this is of course not uh, for everybody's cup of tea, let's say, but for for us uh, explorers, researchers, software developers, etc. This really makes sense because this would really be the next frontier where we'd be able to extend our capabilities as a species and as individuals. I guess quantum physics must be really important to have on this trip because (laughs) yeah, you find yourself in a good niche. In theory, I can do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Are you you a good I'm a theoretical physicist. (laughs) No, terrible. (laughs) But in theory, I can describe the molecules. Oh, so we're all going to go hungry on Mars if, uh, if, <laughs> if you don't. Yeah, but at least we can talk about it. Yeah, this is the first time I've seen the philosopher just blown. It is. Are, are we it's able to put your mind back together? No, I mean, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a little while. It really is. But I, I think it's just the, the caliber of the people that we've had at Singularity University. It's, it's nice. I mean, we've got people going to Mars. We've got people that have been to space, and we've got people that are literally talking about how to extract water from the deep permafrost within the planet. And it's like. This is all in one place, and yet it's all got a very focused vision on the future, and that's truly important. I think, how do you feel about the future, coming from some place like this and being a part of what you're at? Yeah, I think, yeah, we've focused on positivity, but I think there are several rather pressing challenges that we need to think about, and of course the discussions here are in some way focusing on on solving these grand challenges. So for me, and I, I know sort of real astronauts would disagree with me when I say the technology's there to get to Mars. Again, I'm a theorist, so I'm yeah. like, we don't need a quantum computer Give to get to Mars. We don't need a, a fusion reactor. You know, we've got the technology that we need, plus minus 10 years, $20 billion, uh, teams of hundreds of people to, to make this dollars. happen. Reckon. Give or yeah. take a billion dollars. Or give or take 10, <laughs> 10, or, 10, million, yeah. 10 million <laughs> or a zero or two. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it depends yeah. how many failures you suffer. There's a lot of unpredictable yeah. um, elements of doing space exploration, of course. But 20 billion US dollars is not an inconceivable amount. We, we've heard, you know, many uh, uh, allusions to this amount of money yeah. in terms of government inputs and lesser, less glamour, less glorious, lesser activities yeah. than going to Mars. So um, I think the money is one thing. The sort of decade you'll need to actually test and develop all this stuff is another thing in the hundreds of thousands of people that would contribute to it. This all exists, you know, yeah. and that's what I mean by, by yeah. existing. Yeah. We don't need a revolution in science yeah. to achieve this goal. What I find is a, a complex problem that we don't have a solution to. We need several revolutions in, from politics all the way through to science in terms of solving sustainability and not just survival, but uh, creating a future of which we can be proud here on Earth. Mm-hmm. This, in my mind, is a, a, a tough challenge and an un- <laughs> and a currently unsolved uh, challenge. Let me Actually, say you threw in politics there. I mean, uh, just the difference of people willing to change and the different cultures, I mean, that's probably more unsurmountable than the technology itself. I right? all of a sudden see why you would want to leave the planet as soon as you bring <laughs> politics into it. <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's crazy. Um, so... I guess, I mean, I know we're breathtaking with this. The way you ended your show, 
kind of rang some serious truths. Oh, yeah. Can you share that with us? Yeah, so, I mean, I think if we want to break it down to basics, why do we want to create a, a sustainable future for ourselves? 99.79% of species that have ever existed, in other words, all species eventually have and will go extinct. Uh, why is that? That's because the environment changes at a rate that the species is unable to adapt to. So uh, we would become one of these species and go extinct eventually if, if we're the natural order of things progressed. However, we are in a unique position now where we, we are aware of this, the fact that I'm uh, talking to you about it right now. Now shows a level of awareness that the, the multitude of bacterial uh, organisms that went extinct and didn't have no the idea, well, right? so, yeah. also we think. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah well, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they also left the planet on very small ships. That's complete. Because the, I have an open mind. <laughs> because, because the ships were smaller, they cost less to send. <laughs> When you've only got one cell, <laughs> you're a fairly easy thing to tra- transport. <laughs> a great big catapult but, in the sky. But I think it's interesting to look back sort of two billion years ago when the biggest extinction or one of the biggest extinction events Earth has ever experienced happened, and that was as a result of cyanobacteria having the emerging capability to split water and use H2O as their source of, of energy in terms of um, – and then oxygen was produced. Yeah. So oxygenation of the atmosphere was, uh, was occurred, um, and that resulted in the capability of multicellular life to have evolved because of the extra access to energy. So oxygen is a highly, has many highly reactive species which allowed the development of complex life but also because of its reactive and energetic nature caused the extinction, biggest, one of the biggest extinction events ever. So yeah, to what extent geez. are we uh, implementing a similar development and capability in terms of our input and contribution to the climate change that we're experiencing now? I think the difference there is that we're aware of it. Mm. We're aware of it. So back to your question about um, you know, why why would we want to create a sustainable future? What's my, what's my point here? And I think we have to break it down and say, why do we want to be one of the species that doesn't go extinct according to the natural yeah, course? Yeah. Are we worth saving? Um, let's, great, let's that's ass- a good question. Let's assume we say yes, then we would say why. And, I think, and who? Um, Not Trump. Not Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certain, yeah. I won't go further on that. Don't get me started. Um, but I think uh, our capacity to create knowledge is our unique yeah. contribution as a, yeah. as a species that hasn't been hasn't occurred before. That's unprecedented. So we're able to create knowledge. We've created the internet. We've created global communications network. We yeah. have libraries. We have books. We have information. We have this knowledge that we've created. That's what we do. So let's say we're proud of enough of that that we want to perpetuate our species into the future. That that's the assumption then that we, we should be proud of what we do and it's with the spirit of pride that we should be going forward trying to create a sustainable future for ourselves mm. because if we're simply trying to survive, then we haven't uh, really uh, been much. any different to the bacteria that, uh, yeah. That's incredible. But I like bacteria, of course. Photos, I love photosynthesis. <laughs> I especially like bacteria in how to build astronaut bacteria. Yes. Oh, that is very important bacteria. <laughs> but I, I must apologize because through all of... That amazing knowledge transfer that you've tried to give us. You've had to stare at two very awed faces because it is incredible uh, that that people like you are not only from South Africa but are on this planet and have such a care for the future that you actually get involved in doing something about it. And I think for me that's, that's possibly some of the most motivating and inspiring things is that at Singularity U, we get to meet a handful of these amazing individuals that are doing such great things in their fields that have such a profound impact on what we can all have as society. And yet, if we could just multiply that, oh, yes. I think as a humanity, the sustainable future would come from this this think, global forwardness. And I think what's really crucial is this uh, net, uh, network uh, realization. So there's no such thing as a single living organism. 
So, uh, as, yeah, as much as you would like to think that you have this individual approach of ah, to survive and sustain your ideas, only there's no such thing. <laughs> your mother and father <laughs> were still necessary for your in- introduction to this world. The, the more than half of your cells are bacterial in your body that keep you alive. The oxygen you breathe is created by cyanobacteria wow. and other photosynthetic organisms that emerge subsequently. The food you eat, you know, everything, everything about life is a network. There's no Brilliant. such thing as a single living organism. And the quicker we realize that, and the quicker we realize that the impact of each and every decision we have should uh, improve the greater good it should contribute to the greater good um, the sooner we can sustain ourselves another advantage of you being on Mars One will be that it doesn't sound like you sleep because you, you, I wouldn't be able to sleep thinking about all of that stuff oh, no, I mean, it would keep me up all night right? No, no, be crazy. I, I, I write uh, sticky notes when I have ideas <laughs> I'd hate to know what my wall would look like if I was thinking like you <laughs> but I'd love to, we'd love to chat to you some more and uh, we'd love to have you back on the Futurology show, maybe mm. for a show just dedicated to the allure of the unknown and, and the smaller things that nobody ever gives any thought to. Um, but thank you for the time you've given us today. Thanks, thanks so much. Thanks for your input pleasure. at Singularity. And uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. Superb. Thank you. Uh, again, they've got a, a great re- uh, repository of some highlights from Singularity on the website. Yes. So Singularity Summit, Singularity U Summit, South Africa Summit. Website? Yep, yep.org. Do you want to just say that again? Let me say that again yeah. for all you people who were actually trying to pay attention. SingularityU South Africa Summit.org. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Long um, URLs and ad handles. I can rock this. Impressed. So don't you love the way Singularity kind of pulls all the mm. content together, right? Yeah. They start talking about all the big ideas and problems that they need to solve. Yeah. And they don't just leave you hanging, yeah. you know, a whole Tantalized. Have I got that right? No, that's tantalized? Tantalized. tantalized. Not tanda. Tant- tentacalized. Mm. Tentacalized. <laughs> You're right. So, Brett. But, so, and, 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 and then they really kind of narrow down on how you actually do it. Yeah. They don't yeah. just kind of assume you've got to go figure this out for yourself. Yeah. They get the experts in who tell it's, you how to do it. Guys. Amazing. Uh, the, the, Absolutely. The, Boom. The sentence of Singularity Summit is Singularity University empowers a global community with a mindset, skill set, and network to create an abundant future. And that's wild. The fact that they're not just sharing these things for the sake of sharing them. They're actually empowering people with this knowledge to yeah. say, now do something. And I think, I really guys, like that. on that note, it's hashtag Future Proof Africa, right? Future Proof Africa, absolutely. Future Proof Africa. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is CliffCentral.com.